It's another wonderful day in the life of our church as we welcome another member. We did four last Sunday, and now we have another. That he writes about here in John 1, as we just read, and again later in John chapter 3. Again, John's ultimate purpose in giving us his gospel account is found in John 20, verse 31, where he writes, But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, today, I really only have two spiritual principles related to Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But before we study, would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your outrageous goodness to us that we can even be here at all. Lord, we ask that you indeed would be our teacher, that you would be our guide, that we'd be able to hear from you today, not from this speaker, but from you, and through the power of your word as it's emboldened into our hearts through your spirit. So, Lord, teach us, train us, grow us, mature us, that we might faithfully walk with you in a real way, in an authentic way. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined with you, the first truth is simply this. We need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. In 1 Peter 3.15 Peter, one of the 12, puts it this way, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. All of us are called through Scripture to be able to make a defense. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you need to be ready to make a defense for what you believe. And the question this morning simply is, are you ready for that? We need to live in such a way as to cause people to question. The first truth here is simply this. We need to be ready to answer boldly, humbly, and honestly. Look at verse 19. This was the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Have you ever received the third degree? A series of questions about who you are and what you've been up to usually came from our parents when we were up to no good. Here, John the Baptist gets peppered with six questions as he receives the third degree about who he is and what he is doing in the wilderness, dunking everyone under the water. Who are you? Question number one. Verse 20, he says, I am not the Christ. He answers boldly. Notice how he doesn't shrink back from the questions. He doesn't try to get out of the situation. He try, doesn't try to get out of the questioning. He takes their questions head on. Notice how he answers also humbly. He's asked a question. And you know people like this. You ask them a question, and all they do is start talking about themselves. He doesn't do that. He didn't start talking about who he was and what he was doing. John the Baptist was not about himself. He was all about Jesus he answers boldly, he answers humbly, and he answers honestly. He says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the promised Redeemer you've been waiting for. Beloved, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. 
ready to answer boldly, humbly, and honestly, but secondly, ready to answer scripturally. So these men sent from Jerusalem now press him further. In verse 21, they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? The second question here, what then? Followed by, are you Elijah? The third question, what does he say? Nope, I'm not Elijah. But perhaps he's like Elijah, but he's not Elijah himself. In Matthew 11, we see this played out as Jesus is speaking. He says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus says of John the Baptist. There's no one greater than that guy. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you were willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not Elijah reincarnated, but he's a lot like him as a prophet. But then the fourth question comes. Well, are you the prophet? What's he say? No, I'm not the prophet. And you go, well, who's the prophet? Notice the capital T there, the capital P, the prophet. Deuteronomy 18.15, the Israelites were promised a prophet from Moses himself. Verse 15, it says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, Moses says, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desire to the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken, but I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name. I myself will require it of him. He basically says, I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah come back from the dead. I am not the prophet that Moses promised. So now out of exasperation, we get the fifth question. Well, who are you then? And we finally get the answer. Well, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, he says. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Notice how he answers scripturally. I'm who Isaiah prophesied about. In verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway of, for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is who he is, a voice crying in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. Beloved, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us, ready to answer scripturally. But thirdly here, ready to answer with great confidence. Notice in all of this, John the Baptist does not shrink back. He's not afraid of these guys. These guys are from Jerusalem. They've got authority. They've got power. And he just deals with them. It's quite beautiful. It's quite remarkable. In verse 24, we 
see a little more of the angle of what's going on here. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. The Pharisees, those were the lawyers of Israel. These Levites, these Pharisees, these scribes, they're all sent out to find out what in the world this John guy is doing, dunking everybody in the wilderness. In verse 25, it goes on to say, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? This is the sixth question. He continues the interrogation. And John answers them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose saddle I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. This isn't the Bethany that's just to the east of Jerusalem. This was northeast beyond the Jordan. And here we get to the crux of the matter. These men, they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they're asking, why are you baptizing? Here we see why he's being grilled in the first place by these priests and Levites and Pharisees. What is going on here? Well, we've been sent from the Pharisees. We've got to give an answer. What is going on? Well, we get an idea when we read Matthew 3, verse 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was the locusts of wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John knows why these guys are coming to ask him. They know why they're grilling him. He knows why he's being grilled. He knows what this is all about. Everyone's going out to see John. And if they're going out to see John, then that means nobody is going to the temple. Therefore, no one is paying any temple shekels. You guys follow the money. This is exactly what's happening. You, John the Baptist, you're cutting into our program here, and we don't like it. We've been sent to deal with you. And this is what this is all about. He knows why they are there and what they're about. If everyone's going out to see him, no one's going to worship at the temple. It's at this point that John finally points to the coming promise of the Messiah. He says to them, basically, he's here right now. This person, this one, this Messiah, this promised one, the one you're actually looking for, he stands among you, but you have no idea who he is. You don't know him. He goes on to say, you know, you guys think I'm something? Look, I have no business even in tying this guy's shoes. And here again, we see John's humility. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. Beloved, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Ready to answer with great confidence, without fear. Ready to answer in such a way as to be bold, humble, and honest. Answering with respect to all that Scripture proclaims answering scripturally. But secondly, this morning, in the end, no matter what we do, we need to point people to Jesus. And the question is, why? Why should we be pointing people to Jesus? Well, the main 
point to make about this is to say that he is the one who has taken our place. That's exactly what John the Baptist proclaims the next day as he sees Jesus coming toward him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. That's who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who's going to take my place. He's the one who takes your place, my place. Isaiah 53 prophesizes this through the great prophet Isaiah. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is referring to Jesus, our Savior, the one who takes our place. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You see, we should have received the chastisement. We are the ones who should have been crushed for our iniquities. We are the ones who should have been pierced for our transgressions, but he took it all upon himself. Isaiah goes on to write, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's true. All of us have been in rebellion against God and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of your sin, everything you've ever done against God Almighty has been placed on him. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is therefore the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's like a lamb that's led to slaughter. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. This is who our Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God who bears our iniquities. He has taken our place. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. That's us. Yet he bore the sin of many. He bore your sin. He bore my sin. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. Beloved, we need to point people to Jesus. Why? Because he's taken our place. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this has been the motif from the very beginning, has it not? Adam and Eve were guilty before God. Sinning against God. And so what did God do? God provided skins. Animals were slain to cover their sin as an atoning sacrifice. 
God said, if you eat of the fruit, Adam and Eve, you shall surely die. And quite frankly, we're kind of looking for the lightning strike and it doesn't come. Why? Because God is merciful. He's gracious and he gives an opportunity by way of skins. Let me cover your sin for you. And that all points to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus the Christ, who comes and lays down his life that we might live. Adam and Eve see this example. Abel brought a sacrifice. Noah offered a sacrifice. Abraham offered a sacrifice. Isaac, Jacob, all over the place. In Leviticus, we see the guilt offering laid out all the way to the book of Exodus in chapter 12 with the Passover lamb given for us that we might live as God passes over our sin. Jesus is the once and for all lamb of God. Everything from the Old Testament points to the reality of this ultimate culmination that we find in Christ. 1 John 2.2, John writes this, he, that is Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. That is, he is the substitutional atoning sacrifice. He takes my place, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. There's that word again, propitiation. He is the substitutional atoning sacrifice. He takes everything upon himself that we should have received. And we can now receive him by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, right now, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Beloved, we need to point people to Jesus. Why? Because he's taken our place. And on top of that, in taking our place, what has he done? He has removed our sin from us. Behold the Lamb of God, John says. He cries out, behold, there he is. Look at him who takes away the sin of the world. He's removed our sin, your sin, my sin. All my dirt, all my baggage, all my garbage has been placed on him. 1 John 3, 5, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there's no sin. Colossians 2, 9, listen close, it won't be on the screen. For in him, that is in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, John's baptism was only one of repentance and water. Jesus' baptism is unto salvation and through the Spirit. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Are you hearing that? Forgiven us all of it, everything. I've had people say, well, I'm not sure. Did he really die for everything, it says? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. I don't know how big your record is. I got a pretty big one myself. I don't know what garbage you're carrying around, but I've got my bags that I need to lay down somewhere at the foot of the cross. 
He cancels the record of debt that stood against me, that stood against you, that stands against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Beloved, we need to point people to Jesus. He has removed our sin. He has taken our place. But lastly here this morning, he is precisely the one we've been waiting for. There's three things I want you to notice here. In light of the fact that Jesus is precisely the one we've been waiting for, notice that he is of divine origin. John again points to this motif, this idea of Jesus Christ's preexistence. This is he of whom I said, verse 30, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Again, this is an interesting and puzzling statement because John the Baptist was born first and then Jesus was born according to the record. But here's John the Baptist who was born first saying, no, he preexists me. He came before me. Why? Because Jesus is divine. He is of divine origin. But secondly, notice this. Notice that the Spirit of God rests upon him. In verse 31, John says, I myself didn't know him. Now, when he says that, he's not saying, I never met him before. He's saying, I didn't know that he was precisely the Messiah. I didn't know that fully. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We see this contrast again between the ministry of John the Baptist and that of Jesus, where John offers physical cleansing and preparation for the entrance into the kingdom of God, where Jesus offers spiritual cleansing and preparation for entrance into the kingdom of God. He is of divine origin. The Spirit of God rests upon him. But lastly here, he in fact is the very Son of God. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The Son of God, this is an incredible messianic title from all of Scripture. Psalm 2, 7 says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. He's the Son of God. Matthew 3, 16, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He is of divine origin. The spirit of God rests upon him. He is the very son of God. And we see the Trinity all working together here. Father, Spirit, Son, Beloved, we need to point people to Jesus. He's the one we've been waiting for. Now, all I can tell you about this past Wednesday, that in spite of the tremendous sorrow and grief that all of us have faced with the sudden loss of my brother-in-law, the day was in the end an incredible day. Of course, the hardest part was being at the funeral home and seeing Todd for the last time, followed by a moving time of reflection at the committal service at the graveside. But the outdoor luncheon was really nice as we were given a good breeze as we dined under shade of many trees. But the thing that really blew me away was the celebration of life for Todd later that night. Beloved, I wish you all could have been there. There had to be around 400 people there. 
gathered in the amphitheater outdoors with a tree line on the west side of the venue, which provided enough shade for everyone. And after a brief eulogy and some singing, the floor was open and people began to come forward with their testimonies about Todd and his life. And for a moment I thought, okay, here we go. Here comes the chaos. But that's not what happened. One by one, people from every area of Todd's life came forward to tell about Todd's incredible testimony of his faithful walk with God. Men and women from his workplace, people from his church, neighbors, family members, college buddies, all came forward with one voice and spoke of God's faithfulness that was so clearly seen throughout Todd's life. It was absolutely amazing. The central theme and overarching challenge was that we should all live our lives like Todd lived, who walked with Christ in such a compelling way. You guys, for two and a half hours, dozens and dozens of people shared their love for Todd and Todd's love for Jesus. Over the years, Todd often said that we should always live our lives in a way that would bring people to question. And apparently that's exactly how he lived. I want to share just a brief excerpt from Todd's obituary. Todd Michael Kelly was born March 7th, 1962 in Kalamazoo, Michigan to Alan and Patricia Kelly. He died on May 24th, 2023 in his home from sudden cardiac arrest, age 61. Todd graduated from Vicksburg High School, Taylor University and Western Michigan University where he received his MSW. He married Jennifer Marie Davis on April 2nd, 1988. And Todd and Jenny rode their bicycles coast to coast twice as well as from Montana to Alaska. He was a social worker at South Bend Schools, Lifeline Youth and Family Services, White's Residential and Family Services, and was currently employed at Elkhart Community Schools. He was an elder at Crossroads Evangelical Free Church for many years. He was passionate about raising belted Galloway cows at their home, Whippletree Farm, west of Plymouth, Indiana. Todd was a man unafraid to chase his dreams His interests were too numerous to mention, but included organic farming, biking, backpacking, restorative justice, motorcycles, mentoring, paragliding, bagpipes, kayaking, rotational grazing, euchre, foster care, coffee brewing, great deals on farm equipment, draft horses, playing the banjo, not very well, uh, (laughs) brewing cider, experiential education and high ropes courses, procrastination, hunting, and most recently brewing kombucha and developing a micro-loan program for farmers in Zimbabwe. Todd was a man of integrity, compassion, and had a great sense of humor. One of the guiding principles of Todd and Jenny's marriage was hospitality, opening their home to many people over the years. He had a heart for the underdog and was a father figure to many. He never lost his sense of curiosity under the goofiness and practicality of daily work was a true innocent curiosity about people and their stories, about creatures and about the world. One part of Todd's legacy is that the world is a better place because of him. He was a man that gave, in many ways, to many people. He gave love to his family, guidance to troubled school kids, encouragement and wise advice to many. He was a never-faltering example of a simple godly life. As we grieve, let us resolve to emulate that giving to others and love of God. Jesus said, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Todd, live this way. So may we. What a testimony. What an amazing evening as Todd lived a life that demonstrated acts of love and deeds of faith that we just sung about a few moments ago. Todd's life really gave the answer for the hope that was in him, and his entire life clearly pointed to Christ, which is exactly what John the Baptist had done. Of course, John the Baptist ended up losing his life for it. Beloved, we need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to answer boldly, humbly, and honestly as John the Baptist did, ready to answer scripturally, ready to answer with great confidence as we point people to Jesus. He has taken our place. He has removed our sins. He is the one we've been waiting for because he's the divine origin. The spirit of God rests on him. He is, in fact, the very son of God, this Jesus. In light of the fact that he's the Lamb of God, I couldn't help but uh, be reminded of where we see this first instance laid out for us in the book of Exodus. As the Israelites were being held hostage by the Egyptians, and the plagues have come and nothing has deterred Pharaoh from keeping them there until this one last plague. And the cry went out to Moses to tell the people, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the door on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast in just a moment, we're going to have our own feast that really speaks of this ultimate Passover meal that we found in Christ, the once and for all Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we hold to the fact that we have an open communion table, that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate with us with the two simple elements of the bread and the cup, the bread representing the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the cup which represents the shed blood of Christ in full payment of all of our sins. If you have children with you today, make sure that they understand the gospel and have made a profession of faith in Jesus. It doesn't make sense for them to participate in something they don't even understand or believe. It would be better for them to wait till a future time when they can take part in it in a meaningful way. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. He writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. 
So let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. There are really two admonitions here combined in this passage. The idea of partaking in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Well, perhaps you have put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior in the past, but now you're currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you are holding with contempt with how you're living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, if you're not willing to repent, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you you until such time as you've made things right with God in your heart. But even better yet, right now, make things right with God right now in the quietness of your heart through confession, through repentance and commitment, and then freely join us in this meal. The other possibility is maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Perhaps you've never given your life to him. If this is the case, I encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in through hypocrisy. But even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going in your life and turn to faith in Christ, even right now. Faith in him for your salvation. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him to be in your heart and life right now. Don't wait a moment longer. And then we invite you to join us in this remembrance. So as the elements of the bread and the cup are passed, please note that both elements are contained in two cups that are stacked together. So make sure you get two cups when you reach. So please make sure you get both. As we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements as you are served. We will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. So at this time, I'd like to invite the elders to come forward to serve. And as they come... Please take this time of preparation to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, and renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty as the Lamb of God, as he paid for all of your sins once and for all. Would you please please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Ron Crowfoot to pray for the bread, which was broken for us. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Father, I want to thank you for this ordinance that you gave us to stop and be quiet and remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf by Christ. And I just thank you for your plan, for 
covering our sins, we're having our sins paid for through the suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ went through for us. And thank you for reaching out and calling out and bringing us to you for salvation. Father, I pray that you would watch over this time here and thank you again for the sacrifice you made for us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Please take and eat. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Tom Elie to pray for the cup, which was poured out for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message this morning, where we read about John the Baptist being questioned about Jesus, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God comes to take away the sins of the world. We're thankful today that you sent your son uh, to provide for our redemption through his blood that was shed, that he went to that cross in our place, knowing that our sins are many, but your mercies are more. We thank you so much today for making it possible for us to be forgiven and to have new life in Christ and eternal life, that is. So, as we partake of the juice, may we be reminded of that precious blood of Jesus and what it means to us. Bless us together as we partake. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he... Please stand with me as we close our service today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, and we want you to receive all the glory. And Lord, may we be ready today to share the hope that we have, because you are the one who's made all the difference in our lives. May we not shrink back from that testimony, from that reality. Thank you, Lord. We thank you that you go before us now as we leave this place. Thank you for this time we could gather together. We praise your name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.